Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to Griefcast with me, Carrie Adloyd. How do we grieve for someone? How does it change and evolve as we get older? My dad died when I was 15 and it took me many, many years to be able to express what I had gone through. So I decided to create Griefcast, a chance to talk, share and laugh about the weirdness of grief and death. But with comedians, so it's not that depressing, I promise. Each time I talk to a different comedian about their own personal experience of grief as we remember someone that they have lost along the way. Whether it was a long time ago or you've just joined the club, this is a chance to talk about the peculiar human process of death. Welcome to Griefcast. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey Griefsters, I hope you're doing okay this week. I know we're approaching Christmas or we're having Hanukkah or however you celebrate at this time of year and perhaps you're finding that difficult. So do talk to people if you need to or, you know, curl up and make sure you're warm and cosy and being looked after as best you can because I know this time of year it does make it particularly hard. Uh, one of our excellent Twitterers on at the Griefcast, at Soprano Morewood, um, tweeted us that she was dreading hearing fairy tale of New York for the first time since her dad died so she decided to take control and she spent the last half hour dancing to it on repeat with her kids I now own it she says which I thought was lovely so there is a song you're absolutely dreading um, yeah if you can face it maybe just put it on repeat see what happens but just maybe yeah do it at home that's probably the safe thing to do isn't it um, luckily as I say regularly on the podcast Frank Zappa is not on the Christmas playlist so um, I'm safe from the one that reminds me really reminds me of my dad I just want to tell you about two things that I'm doing which are not grief related but are cheery so I thought I've thought about it I thought yeah I will tell you in case you're looking for something cheery to do I'm in a show called Ostentatious which is improvised Jane Austen 
show, the comedy play in the style of Jane Austen. And we are at the Savoy Theatre in London on the 9th of December and the 16th of December. If you head to ostentatiousimpro.com, uh, you can find more information on tickets and exactly what the show is. But basically, it's a very funny, silly show. And I also co-wrote the panto this year for the Lyric Hammersmith, which is Dick Whittington. And that's performing until January the 6th. And it's a very silly, very funny show. So just in case you're looking for something in London, I'm afraid only in London, uh, that might cheer you up. That's my recommendations for things I'm doing. This week, I'm talking to writer Dawn O'Porter. Dawn is an incredible woman. She has had a television career before she was a writer uh, hosting and writing documentaries that's when I first came across her for Channel 4 and BBC 3 she's since written five books as you'll hear in the introduction to the chat I get confused about how many books she's written and I'm I'd like to still say sorry to Dawn for that for not being very with it that morning Uh, she wrote The Cows which is a Sunday Times bestseller uh, which is the one I got confused about uh, which is available to buy now and is an excellent book I highly recommend it Dawn came in to talk to me about her mum, Carol, who died just before her seventh birthday of breast cancer. Welcome to Griefcast. I'm joined today by writer Dawn O'Porter. Hello. 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 Um, you had a very successful first book. I did. I mean, yeah. it, was, it wasn't my first. Oh, sorry. No, that's okay. As I it said was... it, that's why I paused. I was like, Gary, it's not... <laughs> You don't know the information, so hold back on it. I thought, nope, going in. It was my Go fifth in. book. Oh, my God, Dawn. <laughs> that, did you see me pause at the beginning? I was like, no, that was the first one. The cat one was the first one. But that's it happens really a lot. Long. I think I think that's what uh, happens a lot when actors do a big film and they have a big moment or when you write yes. something and it does really well. It's people blushing. No, please don't blush. No, that's totally people fine. People do that to me and I always think, I didn't do your research. It's where I confidently said first as well. Even though in my head I was like, it's not, don't say it. But I thought, Karen, <laughs> well, don't doubt yourself. I'll tell you what it was. It was my first fiction for adults. Great, It was thank my you. first hurrah Thanks. with like grown-up writing. That's why I feel like I saw that written down somewhere anyway. But that's obviously not where you started, where people might recognise you before, because you had a career before that. I did. I used to do documentaries on the BBC. Yeah, yeah. And then on Channel 4 and a couple on Sky. That was so long ago. I find yeah. it so mad. It's like... I haven't made a documentary for 10 years. Wow. But did you always want to write? Was always. That... Oh, really? So the TV stuff was a bit of a mistake. Oh, but was it kind of like, oh, I just want to be creative, so this is a way of doing it, and then eventually um, I'll get to where I want to be? I wonder. I think when I was at school, I always wanted to write and act, and then I went to drama school, and very quickly into drama school, just didn't want to act. Wow. Thank God, because I ended up marrying an actor. <laughs> yeah. So that would be a disaster. Um, yeah, I just knew I didn't want to act. And I think writing was always the thing I wanted to do, but it was that it seemed easier to kind of stand on a stage and perform than it did to say, I want to lock myself away and create some yeah, work and then yeah. like, beg people to read it. So <laughs> I think I was just a bit confused as to what I wanted to do and just went into the kind of performing. Yeah. Um, and then just wrote. And I kind of early 20s I got my first book deal where I um, met people on the internet and wrote a diary about it wow. and then uh, my TV career kind of kicked off a bit by accident wow. and um, and so I did that for a few years and then around 10 years ago the TV stuff just kind of fell apart I was waiting for a recommission from Channel 4 but it never came Ugh. and I'd moved to LA I yeah. was just kind of waiting spending all my money because I thought <laughs> I was about to get another series um, and after about eight months of waiting for the second series I just got a call saying it's not going to happen I hate so, that call oh it was I hate that call Dawn <laughs> it was the worst call yeah. because um I've never been that desperate for a TV career, yeah, but yeah. I was really hanging on for that series. And I suddenly felt like, you 
idiot. You've put everything into this. You're living yeah. on the other side of the world. You spent everything on vintage furniture. <laughs> you go, you know, you, you, it like, looks amazing. It looks fantastic in here. The room that I cry in every day is beautiful, <laughs> but um, but it was just all a bit of a sorry state. And then it was, you know, and then that was around the time that I met Chris. I just had a couple of years of just no work and being quite down. But I had a column, a weekly column, which which kind of kept me going. And then I lost that as well. So in a real fit of despair kind of wrote my way out of the dark hole Um, and then I got a two book deal for a couple of young adult novels and suddenly I was like this is it this is it me me being in total control if I don't stop writing I'll never stop working oh that joy yes and so now it's like TV who don't even really try and just write do you think because I know my creative journey not not at all similar but like I got to a very bad place before I finally went okay fine I'll do the thing I want to do yeah do you think there was something that was like you had to go to everything being taken to go okay fine I'll do the thing I really want to do because that's what's been terrifying me and I think that's exactly what you should do throughout your career in entertainment in your 20s is you should try everything and just get this massive body of experience and work behind you like it's lovely being I turn 40 in a few months and it's so nice not thinking not that that matters (laughs) but I just wanted to say you can say it as much (laughs) as you want um so I turn 40 in a few months and I just think I haven't got that thing scratching away going, yeah. I should have been a TV star, yeah. I should be doing that. I feel like I did it all and it was brilliant. And then this very kind of natural, just natural selection of pushing me out of TV yeah, yeah. ended up in me realising where I'm most happy without any temptation anywhere else. And that's not to say that if an amazing opportunity came up, yeah, I wouldn't take sure, it, but yeah. I'm not, you know, I'm not out there pitching TV ideas and like yeah. doing that kind of thing. So I, I definitely feel by doing a bit of everything, I can just sit and chill out in a shed in my garden and write yeah which is very nice and obviously good experiences to write from because yes. you've lived as opposed to yeah god it's so it's i just find people's creative path so interesting so do i you end up somewhere and then when someone says to you or that's the thing like you said you have an image of a person what you think and then you you don't really know like all the twists and turns that got them somewhere and i also think even when you're in the public eye or in the entertainment in- industry you forget that everyone is just trying really hard yeah. and that they've experienced failure on epic levels and yeah. success on epic levels and it's just gone up and up and down i mean the best autobiographies are by creative people who have just had a journey otherwise there's yeah. nothing interesting about it is there like, like oh yeah, it was just like easy. It's exactly. Really so I th- and I think I think there's this thing where you can presume that everyone in the public eye and I think Instagram for example can yeah, like paint yeah. this picture that everything's always been great. Everyone thinks because you've been on TV you're loaded. Yeah. No. I find that one really funny. I find yeah. that one really annoying. I just assume that you yeah, you're loaded. You've people, got loads of money. Yeah, people say on my Instagram all the time. I was I was going up to um, host a Scottish BAFTA the other day. And oh, I, I saw I, this. Yeah, yeah, you needed shoes. I needed shoes. Now, the situation is, I'm on the train on the way up there. I've got to go straight into hair and makeup. Yes, I know that's not a problem, but that was the way. <laughs> it was quite a tight schedule. Also meeting my dad and didn't want to go shopping with him. I wanted yeah, to just yeah. talk to him. So um, didn't like my shoes. So I put this thing on Instagram saying, look, if anybody's going to Scottish BAFTAs or however I worded it and you've got any size seven uh, wedges, can you bring them to the hotel and I'll borrow them? And then you just get most people like, brilliant, this is such a mission. How did it turn out? You just get the old person going, married to a movie star, been on TV, written a book, begging for shoes. (laughs) And you're just like, oh, I don't... I'm not begging. I'm not begging for shoes. And also, I don't just have this ridiculous disposable income where I'm going to buy a pair of wedges for the night because if I can borrow some, I'll just borrow some. And also, even in terms of environmental, 
environmental sustainability, it's better that you borrow some. It was an ethical request. Yeah, it was ethical. <laughs> I have this really nice jumper that was pricey for me, definitely. Um, it's a Bella Freud jumper, guys. I really love it. Love and um, it was like, a, you know, a big like, oh, I'm going to buy it. And um, I've worn it quite a lot because mm-hmm. it's like my only nice jumper. And every time I wear it on something, I get these comments of like, oh, same jumper. Can you not afford another one? And I think... You can't win. I think, no, I can't. I can't. Like, guys... That's that was quite expensive. Yeah. So now I I like. What do you think? Yeah. What do you think I'm doing? Like I still have to pay other stuff. It does sound like a moan though, doesn't it? Because I do think it's a privilege to do fun entertainment jobs because they are a lot more fun than any other job I did. Yeah. Um. But it doesn't mean we're loaded. That's doesn't mean you're loaded. That's it. That's the end of the conversation because yeah. you're just like. By the way, guys, don't have this endless supply yeah. of disposable cash. I might um, need to buy shoes occasionally. Yeah. But I I do find that when I get those comments on Instagram back. Cool. But you're so rich. You're so rich. And like, I do fine. But I you know work bloody hard for yeah. it. And people just presume that yeah. everybody's Angelina Jolie. But then I shouldn't have said that because she, you know, she could be struggling she, for cash. Yeah, she might be thinking, but yeah, we can't get the kitchen done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know we said we could, guys, but I think maybe we have to wait. Or maybe I have to wait till I do another film before I get the new bathroom. Exactly. I mean, she's got a lot of mouths to feed. She Actually, to be fair, she has a lot of kids to feed. They yeah. must be cost a fortune. <laughs> How many has she got? 25? <laughs> I think she got five. I'm terrible with any, like, because I had a baby, like, in the last two years, so any form of what anyone is doing no, is a bit confusing I'm the same, to me. I'm the same. But yeah. Why would you have more than two children? <laughs> well, you've got two. I, I feel two. like that with having one, I think, God. But you've got a nearly two-year-old, so our age gap was two and a half. Yeah, that's wise. I don't know what that correct age gap is supposed to be. I don't think there is one. No. That's what I've learned, because... Uh, there's four years between me and my brother which I do I think I quite like but I know so many people who have four and they hate each other and have 18 months and hate each other yeah. and 18 months and love each other like I think it's not really the age gap is it so. like Island is bananas I was with a friend of mine the other day who's the youngest of 15 in our generation sorry what I know I just was like 15 I've got so many questions I want to ask that woman I just can't <laughs> believe it but you know I think it was a happy family and there was 15 sure kids was. and there's I just find that amazing Chris is the youngest of five he always wanted more than two but then we got to two and he was like absolutely not we're done <laughs> yeah. people from big families often do that I think they either go for it and re- recreate the big family or they suddenly go wow my parents are amazing yeah <laughs> this is really hard yeah. yeah speaking of families it's my another awkward segue from Carrie is quite tired this morning who are we remembering today? Dawn? We are remembering my mother. Your mother. What Carol you... Helen Ricks. Oh, that's a lovely name. Yes. So Ricks was her side of the family, um, spelled R-A-X, which is pretty, oh, quite a cool name. What a glam name. Yeah, it's good. And also, um, not that I support this now, but they were all furriers. So they were called oh. Ricks, just kind of adorned in beautiful furs back wow. in the 60s and 70s. Oh and um, and that was what they did. Um I really want to reiterate that I don't support foreigners. My family family don't do that anymore. But back then there was, you know, there was much less kind of... very so very appropriate outrage about moaning it. about her money when she's she's yeah. covered in furs <laughs> just, guys just laden with mink <laughs> um, so Carol Helen Ricks was my mum and she died a couple of days before my seventh birthday wow. of breast cancer wow um, but actually it was more than breast cancer that got her in the end she was just it went everywhere spread, uh, yeah, yeah ovaries and her lymph glands it was everywhere so I think she had it she had it when I was probably around four or five and she had a boob removed oh. And then it came back a few years later. And do you have brothers and sisters? I've got one older sister. And how old? How much older is she? So she's two years older than me. Okay, okay. So so you were sort of aware of her cancer when you were about four then? I wasn't. Right. It, was, it was actually really strange because 
All I knew is that something was going on, but I never quite knew what she always used. Because we got brought up in Guernsey. She had to go to Southampton for her treatment. So she'd go away a lot. Wow. She'd always kind of send these postcards. And weirdly, I found one a few weeks ago and it actually sent me to bits. I was just, oh God. Yeah. She'd send me like with a picture of a castle on the front saying, mummy's having a lovely time and I'll see you soon. Oh. I didn't know she was ill. Yeah. And then um, obviously when I was that young, I really didn't. I remember things like the second time course it all makes sense now yeah um she was in bed a lot she was wearing she always wore a turban I didn't know she was bald yeah yeah. I never saw her bald wow so I don't know what I thought the turban was for she had hair kind of a lot like mine yeah she, but I, I she used to be love sunbathing just love sunbathing we just kind of lie in bed and she would peel which I don't know if that's uh might be the treatment I might be yeah. but I I always thought it was just sunburn. Actually, I've never even thought to ask that question, but her, she's like a snake. She's just wow. peeling on her arms and my sister and I would just sit there and pick it all off. <laughs> and it was this weird kind of bonding thing that we used to do with her. Oh, she kind of lay, lay in bed dying. We would peel her skin off. That's just so weird. Um, and she, um, and there would be times I remember coming into the kitchen one day because we lived with my grandparents in Guernsey and I, and she was crying and I, and I was like, oh, what's the matter? And she said, oh, I've stubbed my toe really badly. And of course, she just found out that she wasn't going to live because that was all around that time. Oh, my God. And so I said, I'll come outside. And we sat in the garden and um, on a sunbed. And I remember just kind of sitting between her legs and reading her Jack and the Beanstalk. And there's all these really sweet little moments, very yeah. few of them. But I, I just remember so clearly now. Um, but at the time, I didn't know she was ill. And then when she died for years, I thought she died of appendicitis. Wow. And I don't know why that was do you think your did someone did anyone ever use the word breast cancer i don't think anyone ever said the word cancer yeah. to us and so i don't know if someone someone else had appendicitis in your brain went oh that's what people get or, sick yes yeah. or if that's what someone had told me yeah i don't know why anyone in my family would have said that to me you might just pick i think kids just pick stuff up maybe from telly from their friends from overhearing stuff and yeah and i think because it's quite scary you sometimes just add things up and don't tell anyone <laughs> like, I think so I wonder I just it's very strange I just don't know why I thought that but I can remember for years telling me oh my mummy died of an appendicitis appendicitis <laughs> and um and then I don't remember the exact time that I found out it was cancer but there was a moment where it was like oh well that's that's really yeah. terrible she was ill and that's what was going on so she was ill for a couple of years then she was ill for a long time yeah I have very few memories but mostly very few memories of her being like well. in great form wow. um, but the few I have would be her 30th birthday she's only 36 when she died which is I feel so young like I said mm. I'm about to turn 40 I just yeah. feel like life's just begun I think gosh she didn't even make it this far that's the most devastating thought mm. but the things I remember I remember the smell of Chanel number no. 5 oh, wow. overpowering I remember <laughs> the feeling of fur just like cuddling into that fur and um, bright red long 80s nails <laughs> She sounds amazing. Oh, she was fantastic. She was absolutely fantastic with loads of boyfriends, <laughs> which, which is um, which is where I got that from. Um, but no, she because my mum and dad got divorced when I was one, so she up and they lived up in Scotland, and so she moved with my sister and I down to Guernsey, where her family were right. um, when I was one, and we lived with my grandparents. So. My only experience of her was as a single woman. Wow. And she had, you know, there was there was a few boyfriends that I remember, all great men and great fun. But yeah, she was, yeah. I mean, I think she was really beautiful and really hilarious. And yeah. anyone that ever talks about her says how funny she was. With this kind of real, uh, she was, uh, she worked for Thomas Cook, so she did a lot of traveling, but a real ambition to see the world. Wow. And, um, and I think she just loved to party. 
Yeah. I just loved snog, so she was <laughs> she was quite she popular. She was so glamorous. Yeah, she was. She was pretty Especially good. Especially, like, so this was, like, mid-80s then? Um, well, she died in 86. 86, yeah. yeah. So I'm imagining a very 80s glamorous lady. She was. I mean, I... You know, I sometimes, I don't know if you ever do this with your parents, well, more likely with your mum, but sometimes you put clothes on and you feel like you've you're really embodied them. Yeah, like, yeah. if I ever wear um, black bat-winged jumpers <laughs> and black leather trousers... Oh, wow. I just, I just, I instantly have a moment where I'm like, oh, I'm her daughter. This yeah. is what she used to look like all the time. And when I'm dressed like that and I'm in Guernsey, people come up to me and say, you're Carol's daughter, aren't you? Um, that oh happened a few God. years ago with this guy. He just recognised me as her daughter. And I just, I was like... I can't, I just don't even know what yeah, to say. Yeah, that's so big, isn't I know, it? it was, but gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Because it's like suddenly a little string pulls you back to yeah. the past and you're like, oh, thank you. Exactly. Thank you for allowing me to be in the past because it's hard for me to to go there and exactly. remember it. And also I think, uh, does your daughter look anything like you? Um, and she's a real mix. She's a real mix, which saddens me. And she's also starting to look more like him. Oh, that's so <laughs> nice. You wouldn't know my kids were mine. Oh. I don't think so. Some people say that Valentine, my youngest one, is like, he's got my expressions but really we don't so for me to feel like I look like my mum is really yeah. lovely and I, I kind of look at them and I'm like oh how you look like we one day because it's just such a lovely yeah. point of connection my nephew my brother's little boy looks like my dad which is odd because my brother married a Japanese girl so he's oh, wow. half Japanese <laughs> but it's the weirdest thing because he's like he looked to my Japanese family think he looks very English but if you saw him you'd be like he looks like a Japanese boy but he looks so just like my dad isn't that funny it's so weird there's just this like look in his eye and the shape of his face and I found that incredibly comforting when he came along because I was like oh hello (laughs) like there he is haven't seen him for so long and it was just like yeah, and I yeah I know what you mean because yeah my, I don't think my daughter does particularly resemble my side, but she probably will, and they do change a lot as well. They do. I remember when Valentine came out of me, I was on all fours, and I he was just put underneath me, and I just looked at him, and I almost was like, oh my god, oh my god, that's just Chris. That's just so <laughs> so weird, Tiny so weird. Baby face. I know. I mean, also, so going on to babies, nothing that like puts you in contact with a dead parent than yeah. having your own kids. It yeah. brings it. All up again. Did you find it hard when you had your first? Did it kind of... And I've been told off for going on about this, about Mm. birth and death, but sorry, it's very interesting. Um, Did you... Because I found it very traumatic that first year. I found it really reminded me of being in grief and the whole kind of I've changed and I've moved on and all of that. Is that what you... No, I didn't. Oh, that's good. I actually had... Bizarrely, because it could have gone very differently, incredibly jolly experience of becoming a mum. It felt very natural to me now the difference in our situations is my mum died when I was so young I'm not grieving I I haven't really grieved because when you're that young it is just embedded into your existence it just is part of who you are it can make you feel sad and it can make you realize what you missed and what you lost but it isn't grief like I can't imagine how it would feel you know, my dad is 73 and he's in great health but that I mean I I don't know how I'm going to cope with that when that happens because I think it was on your episode with Robert Webb you were talking about this, where people would go to him as the guy that understood mm. when someone died. So people, my friend's parents would die, like, you know, if someone died during teenagers or when we were at college, and they would want to talk to me, and I've got, I've got no idea what you're talking wow. about. I haven't experienced grief. Yeah. I have just lived a life where there's this enormous gap, and that makes me feel a certain way and gives me certain struggles, but I... I don't really miss her because yeah. I didn't. I can't remember her, so it's very strange. That's interesting. I don't know if you listened to the Beth Rylance episode because her mum died when she was one, 
and she was saying similar things of just like it's just you can't like it's a, a different place it's a different it planet is. and I remember reading that with the Julia Samuels St. Julia Samuels book um Samuel uh, grief works that she was saying like pre if a parent dies pre 10 it's a very different experience yes. for a child like they just they don't have the emotion vocabulary to comprehend and like past 10 ish that's when you are able to go oh I, I understand what that has meant yes, that so they're not here but before that you'd, what does it mean like, I know it's very strange well I think my sister and I she's two years older and she had a different experience oh yeah I'm sure um, yeah. and it's not my place to talk about her on this but I do think that it it's hit her emotionally in a different way to me because she was older and she understood. Yeah. She had two years of knowing her, Yeah, uh, you know, on top and of what I did. And at that is huge. Huge. You know, four to six is a, like, a massive difference. I think the burden that she took on from that experience and also that she remembers us leaving Scotland because wow. she was, you know, a bit older there. She yeah. had a little Scottish accent. She was a three-year-old. Wow. So, it was, you know, I, f- I always feel like um, my sister and I are very close, but we've definitely it's actually her that told me about this podcast oh, wow. and that was why I emailed you and said can I come on your podcast <laughs> to talk about grief but um I feel like Jane and I you know we've kind of we're in the same place now but I think about her as a kid and she had a very different experience from me and I think god I didn't have the emotional ability intelligence or anything to understand yeah. that but you're all just in your own kind of world but yes I think that's very true I'd say from the age of nine it can affect you completely differently yeah um for me, I was think, trying to think of an analogy on the way here, and this is this is the best I did. So if I, it's a bit strange, but it's like living on a street with identical houses, mm. um, just a row of terraced houses, and yours is the same as everyone else, but there's a wall missing. Yeah. And every morning you come downstairs and you've got your dressing gown on, you're going to breakfast and you look at the wall and you're like, oh God, yeah, that wall's missing. And then you kind of get on with your life. Yeah. And then people come around to your house and they sit there and they're kind of... They want to mention it, but you kind of don't mention it, so they don't mention it. And so everyone just acts like everything is normal, but there's a wall missing of your house and you know that you can never rebuild it. But you know you should be the same as everyone else. That's what being at school felt like. I felt like I knew I was different and sometimes that made me feel awesome and I think there's no coincidence that I ended up like wanting to be the centre of attention and (laughs) do what I do. And, um, you know, I might be a writer, but give me a stage and a microphone and I'll be there all night. So I definitely learned very early on that the way to kind of you know, rebuild that wall was to build myself up yeah. in a really big, solid way. And really, my sister's a bit more of an introvert. Mm. So I just think it just affects people so differently. And that could be an age thing or... Oh, mass- I just, yeah, it's just, per- it's personality. Like my, you know, my brother, when I talk to him, he's like, well, I don't really think about it. He's like, <laughs> like compared to me, he's like, talks about it, writes about it. Like, it's such a huge part of my world still. And, um bless him he's just like yeah like it's sad like he's sort of I think he's doesn't mind that I do the podcast at all but is slightly like how have you still got stuff to say about it (laughs) it's funny isn't it that's that's definitely I can understand that a bit I I did find I do find myself sometimes a friend of mine lost her dad and she's she talks about it all the time and despite what I went through I still find myself going come on it's time now stop yeah, talking about yeah. it which is an awful thought because but again I, think, I don't know what that feels like to lose yeah. your dad as an adult but I suppose it depends on and it always depends on your what happened to you I think mm. and perhaps as a child that's what you felt with like no one wants to talk about it because it's so sad or go maybe we shouldn't talk about it you know so I think I 
yeah, I think he just got on with things and was older and had processed more stuff. Yeah. You know, he was 19, I was 15. Again, that's like a massive difference. Like they'd had adult conversations. Yeah. And I hadn't. So I feel like I'm sort of moving out of trying to deal with it like a teenager was I think like he had he was processing it probably more like an adult really and also just different stages of life you were at 15 you're still very much under the hand of your parents yeah massively and at 19 you're breaking free and going to you know (laughs) he'd already already broken free well Well, there you go so he I think at 15 you still you still need your mummy and your daddy like that's how you feel at that age and then the older you get you I think what we all have to remember, we are designed to deal with this thing yeah, yeah. Um, somewhere deep inside of us. And I think, you know, the older you get, even just a few years, can make the experience completely different once you get to a certain point of life. Yeah, and it, it just, I think it must, the thing I've learned from doing this show is like, it massively depends on your relationship with them. Yes, of course. And if your relationship was good or you talked about stuff or you felt like it was everything that needed to be resolved was resolved, then I think that can be sometimes easier or sometimes it makes it harder because you miss them more because you were so it, yeah. like it's it's it, I mean you say it all the time like it's such an individual thing funny enough there was when I was at primary school there was a, little, a girl I was friend with, friends with and her mum died of breast cancer mm. and that was my first experience actually of like somebody dying and I remember her being she must have been about six actually yeah I think she was about six or seven and it's really funny thinking about you at that age because I remember thinking we didn't we didn't understand what happened and no. everyone kept telling us like Angela's mummy had died mm. and none of us knew what that meant but we like knew that it was sad. Yeah. And I remember this awful moment she came into school and obviously she must have come in too early and she was sick. She just was sick in the class and then all the teachers were like obviously this is because she's you know something you know she's not yeah. okay but all, it was that weird thing of all all the whole class was like we didn't know we didn't know we just knew that something bad had happened and yeah. we never spoke to her about no, it no you don't it's it's strange that that age i remember coming back to school i remember i was only i only had two days off school and they made me go back to school my sister got three days off and i was really upset about <laughs> it and i went back to school and they'd announced that my mum had died in assembly oh, and uh, and one of the girls in my class came up and said we thought you were all just making it up to get attention because i was obviously always a bit of an attention seeker wow. um but there's it's so it's not like at that age you get an arm around you from your best friend and yeah. you talk about it. You just get thrown back into school and you just have to get on with yeah. it. It's such a strange age in terms of, you know, there was no therapy back then. We didn't talk yeah. about it. It kind of happened and that was it. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, so there's no support from friends. And then I, so as I was growing up, I remember thinking, I'm not going to be the person to mention this. Wow. And so then it just doesn't really get talked about. Did you just not want to be accused of getting attention or did you not want to make people upset? Like, what was it that made you think, I'm just not going to mention it? I think at that age, I just, I mean, I don't know what your logical thoughts at seven are. It was my birthday two days later. Of course, And yeah. so it was a, such a bizarre thing because I had a party. And I remember being wow. in this hotel with three of my friends and me just laughing and then looking over and seeing my grand's face and she was just crying her eyes out at my party. And I remember this moment where I just almost shook my face and went, no, 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 no. And just got back to my yeah. friends. And I think because it was my birthday, everyone did their best and then it that was it. Yeah. I was over it and then the week later was her funeral and we didn't go right yeah. um which i still don't know if there was, was the right decision or not I, so i've got hard, no idea yeah. i think they did the right thing or how everyone felt at the time and that yeah. was that was what had to happen um i i think in my heart of hearts i'm glad i didn't go yeah um 
And I, but I remember being at the party afterwards and it just being really strange and like family members who had never been together before and didn't get on being in the same room. And I remember thinking more about that than, yeah. than anything else. And then life just resumed. And I'm sure the adults were going through absolute hell. I know mm. my, uh, my grandparents, who I lived with for another three years, wow. were going through absolute hell. And it was a very sad house. And eventually they just were so old that my aunt and uncle took us in and we lived with them from when I was 10 and they became my parents. Right. And my dad is my buddy and I love him. We live up in Scotland, but I've never lived with him. Wow. Um, and so we, my aunt and uncle kind of became our parents and they were, they were, they were willing to talk about her. Not that we ever did very much, but that was suddenly we were allowed to, but those three years after she died, yeah. when I was with, my grandparents who were just devastated we it didn't get talked about so I'd learned to bury it and it must have been so heartbreaking for them you can again it's that thing of like you can see why and they're of a completely deaf, different generation mm. they're from that generation where you don't talk about it they've lost their daughter mm-hmm. they're raising her children who look like her yeah and so you can understand but yeah it's hard isn't it because obviously that's the lesson you learn is we don't talk about it. You don't talk about it because you don't want to be the one that upsets everyone. Yeah, it's still yeah. such a part of who I am. Yeah. I am so passive aggressive. Even <laughs> in my marriage, I realise I'm like this all the time. When something is hurting me, the what I have to build up in myself to say it out loud for fear of upsetting that other yeah, person, yeah. still I find really difficult. And it's I, I every time I go back to being in my granddad's house and not wanting to upset him. Yeah, and that's so that's so. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? It's just the thing of grief of like, you just, I know, I know, I remember that, like making child decisions. Yeah. Like of being like, okay, well, like my mum's really, you know, my mum's really sad. This is awful. So I'm just going to behave the best, absolutely best and never be a problem. Oh, I don't know if I did that. No, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like, whereas again, it's that thing of like, you make, you have these, all these little doors in front of yeah. you and you're like, okay, I could go down that door and get shit faced and cause trouble, but I can see everyone's really sad. Yeah. So, don't worry, guys. Don't worry about me. Like, don't worry about me. And like you said, like, don't upset them. Like, this yeah. little, tiny door you go through and then suddenly that becomes who you are. Yeah. But there's a part of you that's like, did I <laughs> did I just choose that? Or And it's hard to... But how do you blur? Because I you're know. a kid and you're just figuring it out. I know. It's very difficult. My sister was quite different. I don't think she'll mind me saying this, but she was quite... Um, she lay it all out. Like, everyone yeah. knew how she was feel, feeling all the time. If yeah. she was upset at dinner time, there was an icy cold atmosphere around the table <laughs> and everyone would kind of sit there and then she would feel much more comfortable with bursting out crying and leaving the room. And I'd be like, everything's fine! It's fine! Yeah. Anyone for more? You know, it's... um. And so those were the kind of roles well, that we played. Well, then you were probably balancing her expression as well because Maybe. when one of you is very expressive I think the other one is then like don't worry guys I'll clear it up. Yeah, I <laughs> think so. I think that's true. I think that's true. And I feel bad for my sister because... I wish I'd been more on her team. How can you know at that age? I know like, you don't know. I always just found her quite difficult. God, we got on so well now, but we really didn't when we were yeah. kids. Like we fought a lot. But um, this is the one thing I'll talk about on here that might actually make me sob, is that when she was about 18, she went away to um, America to work on a camp. And she kind of just went on this adventure. And I was just in the depths of my like, you know, 17-year-old, yeah. 16-year-old social life. I was at home. I was just all, all the, I was failing everything at school but just loving being with my friends and uh, she used to send me these letters and I never really looked at them and then about 10 years ago I was in my old school bedroom I found all the letters that she'd written to me she's like 
It's like, Dawn, I've saved up my money. I can pay your ticket to come out here and be with me. I got you a job teaching drama with all the kids. And I just read all these letters. Just like, oh my God, Jane, you loved me so much. And she took on such a burden of becoming the person that looked after me. And I didn't get that. She goes, in the primary school that we were in, um, so mummy died when I was, I still call her mummy because I never progressed to mum. Yeah, yeah. We were seven, so... In that school, it was such a posh all-girls school that we went to and they used to have these things called tidiness girdles, which was this um, white sash that you'd wear around <laughs> your waist and you got awarded one if you were extremely well presented. Right. I was an absolute <laughs> fucking mess at school. But my sister would like in, come into my room every morning and right, sit down. She'd do French plaits in my hair, put them over my hair in that oh. Helga style. She'd run up behind me in the corridor and pull up my socks and do all these things. I'd be like, oh, get off me, just go away, leave me alone. Anyway, I got a tidiness girdle. Just purely off the back of Jane, just oh. mothering me. Yeah, just trying to be the mum. And I just, and I, I just don't, I didn't get it at the time. I don't know if she really got it either, yeah. but she took on this role of like, she wanted to take care of me, and I, I, I don't, I don't, I just find that so sweet. I just find it's, it the most adorable thing. It's so hard because, of course, that two years knowledge means that oh, I'm going to go now. <laughs> it means that she's aware of like aware of what mums do yeah and I think when you're just that bit younger you're like oh what so what like yeah and I think I'm again I'm a younger sibling and I think my brother tried to do stuff I was like what's he doing like I think he was probably trying to be dad yes and I was like it's being so weird I know (laughs) why be so weird why do you care stop being so weird (laughs) because you're just and that's this horrible realization I think when you're the younger sibling because there's a great joy at being more mature than them sometimes and when you realize they've been more mature than you it's like we're like oh they knew something I just I just didn't know you didn't know there's nothing I could no book I could have read nothing I could have got over on that he just had lived longer and so kind of goes like, this is what you need. Yeah, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, this is what's supposed I, to happen. I find that thing about being taken care of really strange. I've realised it so much in myself that because I, I've i never really had a mother. Yeah, yeah. So my grandmother was, you know, great. They, they raised me, but she wasn't hugely maternal towards me. And then my auntie had already had two boys who had grown up and left by the time we moved in with wow. her. And she did a fantastic job with us and I love her dearly. But it still wasn't a mother. Yeah. Um, it feels like she is now, yeah. but not. it didn't through my teenage years. I felt like I was living with Auntie Jane and that was great, but I, I, I knew there was a difference. Uh, there are very few people in my life that I allow to take care of me. Yeah. And I didn't realise this until I'm... So we live out in California and we've got a group of friends. I'm like always taking care of my friends and you know, cooking for them, making sure they're all right. As soon as someone tries to do that with me, I feel really surrounded, yeah. really... I don't like it. I let, like Chris probably is, and maybe my sister, Chris, but really is the only kind of person external to my family that I've ever taken in who I allow to really look after me yeah. and where it doesn't annoy me on any level. And I actually like it. So <laughs> I'm quite wifey at home yeah. in the way that he really does look after me. He protects me in this very kind of lovely, lovely way. It makes me feel very safe and warm and just like everything's going to be okay. And I never, ever realised I needed that until I got married. Yeah. Do you and think it's about something about being vulnerable? That's what I, I'm equally the same. I find it very hard to be looked after. And I, for obvious reasons, find it very hard if a man, an older man especially, yeah. tries to tell me what to do or think. Yeah. And I, I think it's something about that care. I find it's like, oh, I don't have that. And suddenly that makes you feel sad and vulnerable, so you push it away. I think so. And also just 
I think the, the, the emotion that was always most obvious to me rather than being buried in my subconscious was I want everyone to think I'm okay. Yeah. So if I accept emotional support from yes. anybody, then they're going to think I'm not okay or know I'm not okay. Yeah, so yeah. I just built... I was always very friendly, very sociable and very... I would describe myself as a very warm person. Yeah. But at the same time, there is just this, there is this barrier in terms of as long as I'm giving it, I'm yeah. comfortable, but you start to give it back to me and I'll just yeah, get panic. a little bit panicky <laughs> yeah, yeah. because I, but what do I have to give you in return is one feeling. Yeah. Another feeling is, no, that's not your job. It's not right. That is not a part of my existence that I've ever been comfortable with. And that's what losing your mother as a kid mm. does. That person who was just completely... Uh, like nurturing? And- nurturing and... Uh, the, I'm going to say the word inconsequentially, but that's not the word I'm looking for. <laughs> that was, don't know if that's unconditionally? Even, unconditionally, yeah, that's yeah. it. Um, that unconditional, um, I don't have to be grateful because you took me in. Yeah. I don't have to be worried about you because you lost your daughter. I don't have to um, be annoyed with you because you're my older sister and you're going off and living your life. That total unconditional feeling of just someone 100% loving you yeah. was never there. Yeah. And... Um, well, it was, but I didn't, you know, as yeah, in my auntie yeah. would have felt that way, but that's not the relationship that I had with her at first. And so I think you go through your life just thinking, I don't need it. Mm. I don't want it. Sounds very overpowering. And the idea I used to joke and say, well, there's a certain kind of life you live when you never have to worry what your mother would say, <laughs> and which made me a real rebel and yeah. quite enjoy being that way. And also, I don't need a man. I don't need a man. I didn't need a man until I fell madly in love with the right man. And then you're like, all right, then. <laughs> you know? And I allowed him to sweep me off my feet and yeah. it felt wonderful. And I think... And it's now, as a mum and being married to Chris and feeling so... That wall has now been built in my house, you know. So it's like... So you kind of... I can now look back on it all and go, God, I was so textbook, really. It's all so obvious. I know. (laughs) That's that's what I have when I'm like... You think you're like this special bag of neurosis and like craziness. And then you're like, oh, I'm a teenager whose dad died. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I tick in every box going... And you're like some um, friends in LA have just lost their dad. And when I get back, I said to her that I'll speak to... um, the teenage daughter if she wants me to again I don't understand what she's actually they've got a seven-year-old up to and a seven-year-old a 10-year-old and a 14-year-old so I'll speak to them if you want me to because um I, I think I don't know what the conversation is and how you manage it but just to be reminded that you're to feel special was what I used to tell myself I yeah. was but actually I was um different but the same I was yeah. just like every other person experiencing this and just it would have been useful to have met a couple of people who had been through it yeah you that's know. what we've talked about so much on the show that I thought I was quite odd mm. I thought it was kind of a weird thing even though there was other girls in my school that had lost their dads so it's about three of us and so that helped and I talk about my friend Hannah all the time because she'd lost her dad when she was eight lost he died and um I that really helped me through like teenage mm-hmm. years but I still felt I was kind of weird yeah because she'd lost him when she was eight and I was 15 there wasn't anyone who was a teenager and having done this show and realizing oh it wasn't fucking special yeah. like one pancreatic cancer was like one of the f- it's the fifth biggest common cancer killer so even that I'd never heard that word before and actually everybody had lost someone yeah and I was talking on Gary Andrews episode whose wife died of sepsis and we were talking about his kids and processing the grief and I said the biggest thing I would have wanted is to meet other kids I know to go oh there's a gang of us and I'm not the only house on the street mm-hmm. actually there's that two doors down don't have a wall either yeah and three doors down don't have a door <laughs> like it's true yeah I think you're so right and I think um 
I think now when this happens to families, there's much more of an infrastructure of, you know, grief support and help, which yes, is... Yes, in most cases. But yeah. yeah, I still think some people still feel like... Oh, that definitely yeah. happens. But, you know, back in Guernsey in the 80s, that just oh, wasn't God, there. Yeah. You think, God, what... what I feel like life turned out all right and Jane and I did really well and we're both really, you know, happy, grounded people. And actually, this is the this is the twisted part of it all. I'm grateful for my experience of life. Yeah. And I think, obviously, I wish my mum had never died yeah, and I wish yeah. I knew who she was. But as it happened, that's what happened. And I've kind of lived this ex- extraordinary experience of emotion from such an early age which now as a writer I feel like I can tap into so yeah, many things yeah, yeah. That's all, that sounds very cliche but I no, think but about it true. all the time yeah, of course and um and you think but I think god what if like you know the next day a therapist had come to the house yeah. and that had happened every week would I be be in a better place now or would I, I don't know it's all it's yeah. all really interesting. I really I love the idea of therapy and you know if anything like that ever happened to any kids in my family I would make sure that they they got they got that help how would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Welcome back to Griefcast with Carrie Ad Lloyd. Have you had any therapy since? I had a few sessions of therapy around six years ago, which was largely based around that work stuff that I was talking to you earlier yeah. on because I'd completely lost my confidence. Mm. And four, se- four sessions of therapy, that was the only thing I've ever had in my life where I definitely felt like I had a lot of stuff going on. But I just, it's always made me, what happened to my mum has always made me incredibly proactive. Mm. And that's, it gave me an energy for life that I've always really appreciated. It got me off Guernsey. It got me the career that I've got. It means that I've just worked relentlessly. And I think that's a really positive thing to come out of it. But when it all went wrong and I didn't get that commission, um, I'm looking at you, Channel 4. (laughs) So um, when you ruined my life, um, I just felt like I, I just forgot. I forgot how good I was at something. Mm. And so I went for these four sessions and she just said something to me on the last session that just made me feel I didn't need to go back. And she just said, why do you think you can't do what you've already done? Because I'd already been quite successful. So I walked away thinking I'm not going to go back. What I also realised is that absolutely everything to do with my existence is sprung off the back of my mum dying when I was seven. Because all she would do is ask me a simple question about confidence and I would be talking about my dead mum and I'd be like wow but welcome welcome Dawn literally every I'm in therapy now having not had any counselling at all for 18 years and um, every time we're talking we talk and talk and talk and then I go 
Oh, it's about my dad, isn't it? I know, you can't have it. You realise. It's so annoying. It's everything. everything. And I'm like, I'm, I'll go in convinced. This one isn't. No, this is actually about career. And it's actually about this thing I'm writing. And it definitely, oh yeah, no, it's my it's dad. It all springs it? back right, to that. God, yeah. See, I think for my 40th birthday and for my present to myself, I'm going to get myself a therapist. I'd thoroughly recommend it. Yeah, I, I'm really excited say. about it. Mainly because I feel, oddly, I'm at a point in life where I'm in a really good place. I, yeah. I've been doing cycle spin classes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm really not a natural exerciser, <laughs> but I want to wear a catsuit on my 40th birthday, so I'm, I'm going to cycle twice a week. And um, this girl that took the class the other day, um, at the end, she said, OK, everybody, you've done great today, and I've just had the worst two weeks of my life because I thought my mum was going to die, and she made it, and I'm back at work today, and so I want everyone to stop being so bloody British, and on the next beat, you're all going to stand up and scream and scream out, all your anger, oh all God. your frustration. And everyone was really pumped for that. And I stood up and I went, oh, my God, I've got no, I'm not angry. Yeah. Oh, my God. She just gave me these, this opportunity. Now, this has come from, I may not have really done therapy, but I've found myself in a position of life that gives me so much joy. I love my job. I mm. love my husband. I love my kids. It's all really nice. Now, I have an anxiety issue that I'm mm. going to die <laughs> since I had children, which I never had before. Oh, wow. I suddenly just realizing what that would do to them yeah feel very sometimes when I embody her physically like I said like I put on a backwind jumper and I become her and I I leave the house that day and just have like wild visuals about how I meet my death that day yeah, yeah. and this is very new very very new and, and the death anxiety is so common. oh god it's so common. I have it and I don't I haven't met I haven't met anyone who lost their parent as a teenager that doesn't have it so I don't know about younger than that because it's obviously yeah. not my forte. But all of us who lost them at teenagers are f- riddled with anxiety. That's so interesting. Yeah. See, I I didn't have it. I didn't even think about death. Didn't worry about it until I had a kid. And I then, guess they're now coming up to the age you were. Yeah. So now you start seeing, and maybe this is, yeah, like you start seeing. Oh, that's how young I was. I know. I really was a a baby. Yeah. And maybe that's what I've had when I've seen fifteen year olds as I've started to process it much more thanks to therapy, I've been like, oh, as a baby. I, all my life, because it's you, you're yeah. like, no, no, I was 15. And people go, it's young. You're like, no, no, guys, you don't understand. I was pretty mature. I'm pretty clever. Yeah. And then I meet a 15-year-old and I go, shit. Just a baby. I was a baby. That's why I reacted like I did. That's why I didn't talk to him about certain things. That's And you, this sort of rush of empathy yeah. for that, for who you were as that time. And I guess as your son is now approaching... Well, he's coming up to four, which yeah. would have been her first round. Yeah. To think that, also for Chris, like the idea that I would get ill and that he would have to do yeah. it, I just don't want to ruin everyone's lives. <laughs> but, you know, I'm in great health. I had, a, you know, I get my um, boobs checked. I had this great, the great thing about living in LA is just, you know, the, the treatment over there is fantastic. Yeah. And I had this ultrasound and then they said you've got quite br- t- uh, dense breast tissue so we need to give you like this other kind of ultrasound so instantly I'm like right I'm dying because yeah, I'm going to die yeah, tomorrow yeah. and then they gave me this other like the same ultrasound that you have when you um, have a baby but they did that of the whole boob oh I've had to have that yeah, yeah. but all clear I'm going to do that every year and you know so the good thing about having a baby is you do get a clean bill of health yeah yeah so that's quite a nice feeling I mean but yeah that anxiety of of what I guess of what you lost is what it is it's really like it's sort of starting to and again I think you grieve that's why we always talk about the grief doesn't go it's not it doesn't go it's that you change and you become an adult or a mother or you know you hit 40 and now you have to recalibrate the feelings that you had because it's like oh how do I feel about my mum now I'm Uh this now I'm a mother now my child is nearly four like so it's not that it 
because sometimes people I say that people are like oh my god it's never going to go it's like no you just it's just a thing that doesn't you doesn't re- yeah, disappear exactly you reinvent it a bit with the older you get and yeah. I think like when I think about her now I feel no sadness for myself because yeah. it that's how it is I just think of her four years younger than me right now yeah. with two young kids a seven-year-old and a nine-year-old and you know their dad is living a while away wondering if we're going to go and live with him yeah. what's going to happen and I think my family all did the right thing because some people say why didn't you go and live with our dad obviously he wanted that to happen mm. but that would have been us taken away from our schools from all our friends from everything so that's when we stayed with grandparents and our um, aunt and uncle kicked in but my mum didn't know any of that was going to happen yeah. and so now all I think about when I think of her is just a 36 year old woman with this unbelievable zest for life yeah. dying yeah which is really sad oh, it's just awful it's really sad and I think it's that's the thing like when you're before you get to that bit you're just the child grieving or feeling sadness and then I think as you get because I'm you know approaching the age that not approaching getting near to the age my dad was when he died because he was 44 right god it's so young yeah I know and then you start thinking god you know like I'm, I'm in mid-30s guys and <laughs> and um you start thinking yeah shit like I now perceive him completely differently because I can I know people who are that age who have kids and yeah. you start thinking fuck yeah no wonder he couldn't face it or couldn't talk about it like, I know whereas when you're the kid you're just like oh this is sad so yeah it's it, it just changes. Yeah. Do you speak to your dad about it at all? Um, I do sometimes. I mean, I, I don't see him very often, unfortunately. Mm. But we we were out on Saturday night because he came to the Scottish Baptist with me. He's such a dude. Um, we had a lovely chat about it in... Um, oh, it's a very easy thing to talk about with him, yeah. a very open conversation. But, you know, I see him so rarely. Is it? Do we sit down and talk about it that yeah. much? But we did at New Year, actually. He came to stay with me and Chris in Dublin for New Year. And we really talked about it. We went right back. And it was lovely having that yeah. conversation. He, you know, he finds the whole thing incredibly sad. My my mum's side of the family and him didn't get on. He didn't even know she had cancer. And one day got a call saying that oh. she died. Oh, my God. Yeah. And so he was... Wow. For whatever reason, that was the decision that was made. I don't think my mum wanted him to know. Oh. And this isn't to villainise him at all because it was no, not... He, he, I think no. she just was really struggling with what was going to happen and she just asked that we, he wasn't told. And um, and so then wow. he got a call saying that she died and was... he. I mean, he, he still considered her his wife. Yeah. And, um, and knowing that kind of detail now is more devastating to me than anything else but everyone did the right thing he came down to the funeral and we spent Christmas and summers with him every year and my relationship with him is as good as it could ever have been he's my buddy and one of my best friends and um you know but that I hear that kind of thing you're like it's really upsetting that people didn't get along Mm. that's annoying yeah um it's so frustrating and I think you can't lose I don't know if you have this I can't lose the sort of childlike sense of injustice of like yeah. why can't you guys just sort it out I know whereas now I'm an adult and there's people I don't get on, and if someone was like you have to sort it out I'd be like no I don't but when you're a kid you're like you're the grown ups just be grown ups and make it okay I know it's, you're so right though because now we're the grown ups you realise how young everyone was yeah and of course My, they made like you look at things and you think yeah I can see how we all made some of those choices guys. I know exactly <laughs> they were just kids who drank loads and smoked loads yeah. and they all had they all had children responsible I've got such a different like view of them all I think they all did the best that they could have done I mean there's just certain things where if you could just rewind time I just I wish she told him yeah and that we could have I don't know what the answer that you know she didn't love him anymore they had a divorce you can't you know people don't want to see each other that's fine but um but he's he's always loved me and Jane so much and the fact that he had that thrown on him was oh, I can't imagine. felt it unfair 
so hard to I know, I know. And so obviously we didn't know any of that, really. We didn't know any of that. I've got, I've just been taken back to other little memories that I've got of her. I remember being away all the time. I've got this one memory of just waiting after school for ages and everyone had been picked up and just thinking, all right, well, I've been forgotten then. So that's that's that and then her little mother of pearl Renault 5 just kind of rolled in because she landed and screamed around in her car and picked me up and I just remember being like oh my god you're here and she had obviously just been having the worst treatment but just kind of got out of the car and kind of and it's all just so putting yourself in those shoes it's just what she must have been experiencing like now you're there as a mum it's really hard isn't it it's really hard yeah and that's the thing that's that's the tragedy of all this I got to live my life and live a great life so did Jane and then but poor Carol just like wiped out we actually lost someone on Chris's side two people on Chris's side of the family last year which I'm not going to go into too much detail about because it's not my place to but um it was a mother and daughter and one of um just very young our age and she she got she just was so ill and i think when she died i felt feelings that i've never felt about losing someone before i really understood death the yeah. fact that she was there one minute and then she was gone and we're never going to see her again mm. that's my first experience of like adult grief wow and i just found that so devastating yeah. you know did it take you back at all um no it took what it did was made me realize what everyone was going through right it gave me a real empathy towards other people in my family as to mm. what they had to see and understand and witness yeah and um that her age is what makes no sense. Yeah. Because we still feel like the kids. I know. Well, this is it. It's what we're talking about. You you do. You still think, especially if you're a younger sibling, I think, I still think, yeah, I'm a baby. I'm a baby. Everyone's going to sort stuff out for me, guys. <laughs> and realising that's the age that people were when they were dying, you're like, oh, well, God, well, yeah. Hey, hang on. Yeah. Of course. And they were having to be grown-ups yeah. because of the kids. And make those decisions look like they know what they're doing. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And no one. You, and this is what I look back on. There's a few things where I think some members in my family should have done better. Mm. And I, there's a few things that got said to me that really stayed with me for years that were the wrong things to, set, to say. And um, like someone said to me the night that she died, don't worry, she'll be back. What? And, oh, this is... And by the way, this person loved him more than anything. I, who in the fuck knows what to say? But oh, And they, they obviously... Just... I'm sure they probably said it and... Instantly, you know, sorry, that was whatever, whatever, because it was meant with no malice and with no anything. But some, I remember someone saying it to me that night, and now I realise that that person had had the absolute life like sucked out of them. And but what unfortunately, what it did was it gave me reoccurring dreams that she came back, and I was always kind of waiting. And then I came up with a conspiracy theory when I was about twelve or thirteen that she had um, had to hide her identity and that she was somewhere else. And so I used to think she was going to walk down the street, yeah. and then I realised that obviously she's never going to come back. But um, the fact that I, as an adult now, the fact that adults are accept, uh, expected to say the right thing yeah. and do the right thing in a time when they're dealing with something that is just so unbelievably des- devastating, I just want to kind of give them a hug now yeah. and say, oh, you don't have to say anything. Yeah. And like, yeah, don't, you don't, don't worry. There isn't anything to say. And God, I don't even know how you were standing up that night, let yeah. alone trying to comfort me. And um, I remember the night we told she was she died. So yeah, what how, were you at home? No, we were at my aunt and uncle's house who um, who ended up, raising us and I remember Jane and I were just running around like playing screaming and then suddenly my uncle said 
um, girls, can you come downstairs? And he sat us down, one on either side of him on the sofa. And my auntie was sitting in an armchair opposite. And he just said, girls, I need to tell you that your mummy died today. And I said, you're joking. And then just feel like the world stopped turning. And I just remember looking at Jane's face and she just looks so sad. And I can remember still thinking everyone's joking oh, and we've got to, got to laugh. And then it all just really hit home and I remember just looking at my auntie and she had tears pounding down her face and I just thought, oh my God, this is the worst. And then I feel like we got that night where everyone was really sad. And I feel like it was all rebuilt from the next morning. Mm. And that's the night that I just think... And this is what I think about as a mum, like, who would tell my kids such a terrible thought? And sometimes Chris just goes out, like, he'll just pop to the shop. So I'm like, well, he's obviously going to get one over. <laughs> Every time, <laughs> he's yeah, die if I don't get a text get back, I'm like, well, he's dead, I'm going to have to raise her. I, I mean, I guess I can, be, I guess I'll be okay. It's going to, oh, yeah, how will I, when will I tell her? He's like, That's the how thing. Will I, how will I keep his memory alive? Like, yeah, you just start. You start going right. So I'd be like, how do I tell Ark? Oh, my four-year-old is so smart and he started to understand death. And I just told him straight away when he started to understand words that my mummy died. And so he's always been... And he always does this weird thing where he puts on this sad voice where he goes, you don't have a mummy. And then he'll slump with his shoulders <laughs> like he's an actor playing sad in a serial advert. Like, there's no serial left. Slump. <laughs> and then he'll just be like, um, your mummy's Dad, you don't have a mummy. I'm like, no, darling, no, I don't. But it's okay because I've got Granty, which is what we call my auntie, and um, and you know I've got Auntie Jane, his auntie, and I'm, I've got Daddy, and I'm very happy. But no, it's very, very sad. And um, and then I just think, and then I you know go go into another room and just sob, imagining how I would tell him that Chris had died. And I'm just like, why am I doing that? Because we're both fit and healthy, and everything's fine. Because you know what it feels like. Yeah, and it's those moments where I feel like. We've got such great family. If anything mm. ever happened to me or Chris, our kids would be surrounded by brilliant people. Mm. And I would be, if it happened to me and I'm on my deathbed, I like, I know they're going to be fine, which is all you can ask yeah. for. Um, and that's funny, though, because perhaps that's what your mum had. Like, and she was right. Like, yeah. They did take you in, your grandparents. Your aunt and uncle did take you in and raised you and looked after you and kept you in that school and kept you, like, yeah. perhaps she did have that feeling of yeah, like I hope I, there so. are some people here who are gonna sort it out yeah I'm sure she did I'm sure she did she loved her family she's very loved she knew everyone would be all right but um I think when there's been a divorce as well yeah. you know I, I wonder it was you know my it would the obvious thing would be to go and live with my dad yeah. I honestly I'm so grateful every day that the family decided that wasn't the right thing to do and it makes me sad that I was never lived with him but to be ripped away from life at that point would, would have, have been, been really hard oh that would have been yeah. awful but I think it's just that it's just that thing with grief and death. It's like, like you said, that moment when you find out is so painful and so hard to comprehend. I think it's really interesting what you described as well, because I sort of remember that. It's looking to adults and their faces telling you stuff. Yeah. And that's really horrible because you, you're looking for the reassurance that you get all the time. Yeah. It's fine, right? It's fine. Why is everyone, oh, shit. <laughs> if they're crying, yes. this bad. When you look at an adult's yeah. face crying. Yeah, like, you think, um, oh, my my kids only see me crying a couple of times, and I think I saw a lot of grown ups crying. Yeah, and that really affected me. Was just do the jazz hands. Yeah, do something silly, do something funny. And I remember being at drama school, and one of my teachers once told me in front of the whole group of people that it was um, I was really annoying for using comedy to hide my insecurities. 
<laughs> um, has she met comedians? <laughs> no, that's like, what we do. That's basically an entire Screw industry. You, you lady. just wiped yeah, out. Exactly. No, it, was a guy. it was a guy. It was a guy. And I remember just thinking, oh, of course it was. But, I, but I remember just going away from that thinking, yeah, I do. Yeah. And lucky me that I've been able to yeah. like do that because I absolutely use being funny as a way to get through life. If you didn't, It'd be really hard. Well, people don't, and it's yeah. really, really upsetting. Yeah. And like that's what I think as well. Like I, you can point. It's it's fine to be aware of these things and be like, oh, am I doing it at time? Perhaps now with this person, I don't need to. Yeah, like, I think that's it's very helpful if if you ask one to use this comedy to be aware of when you don't let people in. But equally, like they call it survival tactics because it helps you survive. Yeah. Like, otherwise, how would you have got through that primary school and secondary school and all exactly. those things with your skin flayed open? Because that's what it feels like. It feels yeah. like you've got no top layer. Yeah. Like, literally, like you said, you feel like you've been picked off. And so you have to do something because everyone's looking at you. Exactly. Going, that's right. Everyone's looking at you yeah. anyway, so you might as well make them laugh. I think that's a really, really good point. And, um, yeah. and also, I remember being called an attention seeker and being like, and? Yeah. Like, why isn't everyone an attention seeker? Why don't you all want to stand on that stage and get yeah. all of the attention? I've never understood why people don't want attention. It just baffles me. I think you have a very healthy attitude to it because I always got called an attention seeker and I would internalise it be like, they're right, I'm so bad, I'm so bad for wanting this attention, like, it's not a good thing, like, don't mm. do it, don't do it. And I think you have a lovely attitude yeah. to it. I think that's so much more healthier, because it's taken me, that's why it took me so long to do anything, because I was like, I want to be an actor. No, you don't, that's just attention-seeking. Yeah. You should do a job that makes you miserable. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, you I, do, I don't understand, like, and there's so much, it's such a confusing world with the amount of, like, energy that is put into self-love and self-help and being comfortable in yourself and and being confident and yeah. all that. But then when someone is actually very confident, we all don't like it. Oh, it makes us shit ourselves. Exactly. <laughs> why, just, why is she acting like she's fine? Yeah. Oh, my God. It's well, it's like you saying earlier on that it just in, in terms of, you know, we're all supposed to love ourselves, but you tell me that I don't look 40 and I'm not allowed to say, great, yeah. thanks, to yeah, flick my hair, yeah, and thanks, yeah. I feel fantastic. I'd be like, oh, you know, you know, that really. And you have to kind of brush off all this stuff. And... um uh, well, I think the older I've got, the more I've just tried to say thank you for compliments and just uh, yeah. be very honest about the fact that I don't hate myself and that I feel like as someone that went through what I went through, yeah. the fact that I don't hate myself is a really great thing. So if people want to call me attention-seeking or call me smug, which is the big one that I get most <laughs> of the time, um, then that's okay because I've, I feel incredibly grounded and rounded yeah. and yes, I am very self-confident and no, I don't hate my body and I do like who I am in my head and I... I I think I should probably get therapy, but I feel like I'm going to be okay if I don't. Yeah, yeah. And all the stuff that I've gone through got me to this point in life where I actually feel actually genuinely happy. Um, I don't care if people want to um, not like me for those things because they're not comfortable with people being actually generally confident. Yeah, and I think that's I think it's really amazing. And I think death and grief can really knock the confidence yeah. out of you really badly because for some reason, as a you know, you feel like it's it's not meant to happen, even though it's guaranteed to happen. Mm -hmm. And it really makes, shakes your world. And like you said, the rocks are foundation, whatever metaphor you want to go for, you you are aware that something awful has happened. And if you can walk away from it, happy and confident, I just, I honestly like salute you from the bottom yeah, of my eventually. heart. Eventually. Yeah, eventually. But also I think, it's that thing again of like not realising that perhaps if someone is confident, it's because they, they know what, they went through something. Mm. It doesn't come from nowhere. You know, I think to be happy and confident and to appreciate life often does come from a place of, well, yeah, I know what it's like 
to have things taken away from me. I think me. so. But also, we'll go back to what I said at the start. Like, I think in this weird, twisted, dark way, I'm lucky it happened at the yeah. point in my life where it happened. I, If it had happened when I was a teenager, like it happened to you, I don't know how I'd feel right now. Yeah. It's an entirely different level of grief. Yeah. So you get, you have no choice when you're a kid to build your life around this thing that just exists in your life. Um, that may have been different for my sister two years older. It certainly would have been different for both of us if we'd been 15, 16. Yeah. Um, you I, know. Know, I think it's the same. I feel the same. I had no choice and I just got on with it. Yeah. And when people say, God, how did you do that? I'm like, how did I not do it? Like, what did you want? Like... I just carried on walking forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, you know, they say, oh, kids are resilient. And I don't know how true it is, but what they are, you you can just get on with things because you don't know any other option. Mm. And we talked about this on Robert's episode as well, of like, if you do like yourself as a person, how can you not but go, well, I wouldn't be like this without their death. Yes. So then it does become this sort of weird, like you said, twisted thought of like, well, I am who I am because of that, that moment, that mm-hmm. explosion, that trauma. And I now like who I am. So it's not that I, like you said, it's not like I'm like, thank God he died. I don't feel like no. that. But I feel like at least I can make the best of it. Yes, and it just, it gives you these <coughs> bricks to build. Um, but you you do, it does something to you. And it's it can be a strangely positive part of who yeah. you are and how it makes you think about your own life and other people around you. Yeah, and I think we've said that so many times in the show of like, it, to just say, you know, it is the worst thing that happened to me. Yeah. But... And I wouldn't describe it as the best thing that happened to me. It feels like language doesn't work. But it definitely made me, mm-hmm. in a way, forged me. That fire forged me into something else. And so, yeah, it's okay to be positive yeah, about that, it. Yeah, you're exactly, that's it. It's that simple. Yeah. It's okay to be positive about it because it's your experience. Yeah. And it's your life. And it's okay to make the decision where you're going to be... You're going to use all of that energy it gives you. You're going to use all of that... Um, that thought that it gives you, that way that it, that perspective that it gives yeah. you, and turn that into something positive. Otherwise, the alternative is a life of grief and sorrow. Yeah, which is not no. You don't want that for anybody. No, it's not to say those moments don't bubble up, but of course they do. Yeah, it's just the, yeah, allowing both of those things to exist at the yeah. same time. Oh my goodness, Dawn, she sounds like a bloody great lady. She is a real dude. <laughs> she sounds like a real dude. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to talk to me about her. Thank you for having me. I must say, this podcast is genius. Oh, thank you. Um, I was My sister mentioned it to me and told me about it, and I was like, oh, God, that just sounds so sad. <laughs> and she goes, no, you don't understand. She talks to people with real personalities and who have like great perspective. And, and uh, I was like, okay, I'll give it a listen. And as soon as I heard it, I was like, get me off. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, and you'd made it. Great. Thank you for thank you. emailing me. You can follow Dawn on Twitter at Dawn O. Porter or you can buy her book now or any of her books but you can buy the, all of them now from all good bookshops. You can follow us on Twitter at The Griefcast and on Instagram at The Griefcast and you, you can email us thegriefcast at gmail.com. Uh, please do rate and review if you've enjoyed the show or subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Um, yeah, that's what I meant to tell you at the end. Not many of you get to this bit though so um, you know what? Hey, if you got there, if you're one of the full-on listeners, thanks very much. Very nice to to say hello to you here. And just remember, you are not alone. <laughs>